everyone. My name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is Fit Click. Episode 50. Dun, 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 dun. Reed, can you keep that in? Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> This is a podcast where we have talked about fan fiction for 50 episodes. Every episode, mostly. Uh, sometimes <laughs> the three of us each bring a work of fan fiction to discuss. Hey, Nicole, what did you bring for this episode? Oh, thank you for asking. I brought Resonance by Elenoids, and it is a fic for Critical Role Campaign 2, and it's Jen. Brenna, what did you bring? Yeah, so the fic I'm bringing for our 50th episode is The Interpreter by Antistar E. Uh, this is a fic for the 2013 movie Snowpiercer, and it is also a gen fic. Reed, what are you bringing? I am bringing Wander the Wild Whereby by Mediast. It is for Fire Emblem, Three Houses. The pairing is Felix Sylvain. And at this point, ficlets, you might be like, mm, this, I feel like I've heard at least one of these before. Uh, actually, you've heard all three. Well, maybe. Um, well, <laughs> you had the opportunity to hear all three, but did yes. you? Are you a true ficlet? We can't keep doing that. We can't every hey. single time. We need to stop gaslighting our ficlets. Every ficlet we're not is gaslighting a true them. Ficlet. We're gatekeeping them. It's just sure, whatever. Yeah, we are. We're gatekeeping them, and we need to stop the gates. Oh. The gates are wide open. Everyone, <laughs> come on in. The gates by oh, who's the author? <laughs> Xpdx, which I know because yes, that was. You. Well, I'll get to that actually in a bit. Nick keeps trying to close the gates, and I'm out here like in the middle of the night unlocking them again for everyone. <laughs> it's like Brenna holding them desperately open. Climb <laughs> on the side, in. like cranking the thing. <laughs> Get out of the way. Um, gatekeeping or not aside, uh, yes, we decided for our 50th episode that we would revisit some fix that we have already talked about on the pod. Um, if you have listened for a couple of episodes, I'm sure at some point we have been like, Oh my god, I could keep talking about this fic, but time constraints. Um, we have lots of things to say about fanfiction, as evidenced by how many episodes of this pod there are. The fact that it um, exists at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, we just thought it'd be fun to revisit fics that we had a lot more things to say about them. Um, should we get a little bit into how we picked the fics we did? Yeah, so for me, um, I brought a fic from a very, very long time ago. This fic was originally discussed in episode 3, selkies-whatyouneedtoknow.org. Um, that reference is not to this fic, um, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking about selkies being in resonance. There's I mean... already a lot going on. It doesn't need selkies. There can be selkies enough, anywhere at any time. Enough magical yeah, interference is going on without selkies. Yeah. Uh, yes. One of the things that we were thinking about when we were looking at what fix we wanted to discuss and how we were going to pick the ones that we wanted to bring back again because like every single fic that we've brought onto this podcast we brought because we wanted to talk about it so we had a lot of options <laughs> um and for me especially i feel like i've brought a lot of kind of like off the beaten path fix really random fandoms really like different things that I'm not always like invested in as a fan myself and so it made it really interesting to go back and poke at some of our discussions but one thing that kept coming to mind for me was we 
do this podcast differently now than we used to, I guess. We're more streamlined. We pre-discuss um, in a much more organized way than we used to. Um, used to be kind of over dinner in public. Um, just having a laugh as we go. We still have a laugh, but I really want Only to... one. One per episode. One, a singular laugh. Ha. Huh. Oh, Brenna! <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> That's oh, it, God. you're done! Oh my God, what are we going to do? If Brenna laughs at any other point in the episode, I'll just have to edit it out. Wait, wait, wait. Can I get some clarification, though? Was, wait, based on what you were saying, it sounded like we were allowed uh-huh. one laugh per pre-discussion. Yes. Mm. Or is it one laugh per episode? No, you're right. It would have been pre-discussion. Read. Okay, Can you okay. Can please let Brenna laugh? <laughs> so it sounds like she's gonna anyway. <laughs> I'm gonna anyway. It's, it's a matter of whether or not you decide to edit out all of my laughter and all of my joy. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that I think Resonance is an interesting and complex fic. The fandom has more to say about it and that now that we are better podcasters, I mean, I wanted to revisit it and be able to like have more formulated opinions. Thank you so much. <laughs> um yeah i've got a lot more to say it's also one of the longer fics that i've brought i bring a lot of little shorties um and as much as i love bringing fics under like 5k there is also only so much we can say about the content of a 2000 word work of fan fiction uh so this one had some more meat to it as well those are my thought processes i don't know about the two of y'all yeah i mean i think when we originally discussed this idea of kind of revisiting older works for our 50th episode like we all came at it from a similar perspective which we're trying to pick ones that we knew that we had more to talk about um looking back on like our list of episodes and like list of fic picks honestly there are so many that we brought that I would have loved to sit down with again so I think for me it really came down to Which do I think I really had stuff I knew I hadn't gotten to say originally on the pod or like and or that I might have like new takes on with a reread now because I think there were a lot that I would just love to reread and like of course love to discuss again but I wasn't sure how much new content I could provide for it or like whether that would really fill a full episode um so when I was thinking about things that like I know have kind of like stuck with me and that I'd love a chance to discuss again in like a new perspective and then I knew like originally my notes were like (laughs) three pages long for um the interpreter was like really high on my list for that. Uh, and yeah, I'm really excited to get back to it. This is a fic that's really stuck with me and like one I think about a lot. So uh, it kind of immediately came to mind. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I hope my co-hosts have enjoyed rereading and rediscussing this fic as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously I had a, a similar thought process. Um, in addition to sort of like what fix did I have like a burning desire to talk about more or like did I have things that didn't make it to the pod was also sort of um, what Nick was saying a little bit. I would like to think we are better podcasters than when we first started. Um, And so maybe not only like, oh, do I have new things to say, but like, could we do this discussion better? Nick, when you mentioned uh, the Gates earlier and I was like, oh, I know who that author is. uh, That was one of the discussions I had listened back to um, because I listened back to some of the early discussions for fix that I was thinking about, um, the gates being one of them. And I was like, you know what? Like, despite how early this was, like, I feel like we did a pretty good job. Like, I was like, it was a banger of a fic and a banger of a discussion, um, which was kind of relieving, I guess. I was very nervous. Um, I did also listen to our discussion of Love Among the Hydrothermal Vents, which is from episode two, but our, like, first proper episode. I was afraid. I was very afraid to go back (laughs) to that territory. Um, But... I, it's not as bad. It is not as bad. I was feeling a lot of nostalgia, actually, um, for 
I don't know, the three of us, like, sitting on the same couch and, like, okay, some of the audio stuff, I was like, please, please, I can (laughs) hear, like, two of us, like, (laughs) snickering in the background and it's, we need to be quiet. But, um, no, anyway, this is to say that in the process of revisiting old discussions, um, I do think we, even in the early days, did a pretty good job, but, uh... This is one of the fics that, like, I think we had a great discussion the first time around. It was for um, episode 37, I'm Out of My Gourd, which the title does relate to this fic. Um, but that was one where fully all of us were just bursting with more things to say. Um, and there's a few things in particular that I think we kind of skirted around because we hadn't had those kind of, like, heavy discussions yet in the pod that, like, I do feel like we're willing to tackle now. So also, I just I love this fic so much. It is it is for sure like one of my favorite fics I've read in the past like five years, maybe more. Um, so a, a delight to return to it. Yeah. And Wander the Wild Whereby is one of those discussions that I always felt like was like a one that got away. <laughs> like have there have been very few times that I have felt that disappointed that our time was up. Yeah. It's always a little bit of a bummer, but especially with that one. Holy cow. We were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, truly rattling with the desire to talk about it more. Um, also, this is, like, not relevant to our picks, but I have been meaning to say this for a couple episodes now, and I keep forgetting. Um, this came up in the server, and so I just wanted to, like, put it on the air. If you do feel like re-listening to our old episodes or you are just listening live, we have timestamps for all of the discussions for all of the fix. I had seen Ficklets talk about, like, oh, I wanted to listen to something, and so I was just skipping every 10 seconds and, like, waiting until I heard keywords from the fix, and I was like, no, 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 it's okay. You it's don't okay. have to live like that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So any discussion you want to listen to, or, like, if there's something where we're, like, there's a content warning that you want to skip, or we're like, hey... Don't listen to this until you consume the canon material if that's a thing you desire. You do not have to fend for yourself skipping in 10-second increments. <laughs> the timestamps are there. You can use them. Or, you know, you can experience it in that kind of abstract art, organic mm. way. Especially because so much of what we say is nonsense, too. Like, I'm so sorry. You're, like, looking for something specific and one of us is going on a tangent about either, like, existentialism or, like, <laughs> something completely unintellectual and ridiculous. I'd love to know how many times you'd hear the word, like, clown out of context, because I'm willing to bet it's a lot. Probably a lot. Probably far too many, unfortunately. <laughs> so, as mentioned, uh, these are all fix that we have discussed previously on the pod. I think episodes 3, 10, and 37, respectively. Um, so we are going to kind of be doing shorter, like, intros to each of these fix this time. We will still provide content warnings and all that jazz. Um, but if you want to go back and listen to the original discussions, those will kind of be separate from what we're talking about today. I'm sure there are some points that we'll touch on that will be overlap, but, you know, we're aiming for kind of revisiting new and different aspects of these fics. So um, yeah, that's just kind of like how we are proceeding with today's episode. Much like us, Caleb and the fic we're about to discuss decides that he wants a do-over so badly he seizes his first opportunity to take it. Let's talk about Resonance. The fic that I am bringing again for this episode is Resonance by AO3 user Elenoides. I did this the first time. We're just going to try a few ways and then we're going to try and get it right. That's fine. Um, It's a critical role fic for Camping 2. It is Jen. And um, I'm going to lay out the content warnings at the top because otherwise uh, the odds of me forgetting and Reed having to splice them in later are good. 
Primary content warnings here are going to be D&D typical violence, um, so spells, magic, injuries, and minor character death. Um, to add on to that, it is murder, but it's probably not murder of a character that you're sad was murdered, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> to say more would require some spoiler horns, which we are about to get into. Um, but for some context, before I jump right into the fic, if you're unfamiliar, we've talked about Critical Role a bit on this pod. It's an actual play D&D podcast. And uh, Campaign 2 is technically set in the same world as Campaign 1, but it is fairly uh, independent in terms of the plot and the storyline. I think knowing Campaign 1 was kind of fun for some of the parts, but not necessary. So uh, this fic centers around Caleb Widogast, who is one of our player characters from Campaign 2. And basically, it looks a lot at his backstory and imagines a world in which his motivations that we see at the beginning of the campaign are fulfilled and seen through. So now we're getting into some spoilers for campaign two and the fic. Pew, 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 if you've Ooh, made it this far. Fun musical spoiler horns. <laughs> Jazzy like spoiler horns. <laughs> Melodic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you want to go watch the hundreds and hundreds of hours of campaign two before you come back here, you're welcome hey, you to do so. you want to know how many so. hours it is? Because I looked it up yesterday. Yeah, please. Oh, God. 556. <laughs> okay, so we'll see you in like a while. <laughs> <laughs> Or if you want to just like read the fic, you could do that. It'll take a lot less time. It's under 30,000 words. Uh, you might be a little confused, but we're going to do our best to give you some context here. Um, yeah, so at the beginning of campaign two, we meet Caleb, and very quickly on, we understand that a uh, few things about him are true. One of them is that he is deeply haunted by mistakes <laughs> of his past. Um, and another one is that he is completely determined to master the art of time travel so he can go back and undo those mistakes. Um, I believe we said something in the initial episode about unmurdering your parents, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically what this fix plot is. <laughs> uh, well, technically, it's a bit complicated. Um, you murder some people, you unmurder others. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I think oh, I think no, unkill your family was the original yes, phrasing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're updating it for episode yeah. fifty. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, this fic looks at basically Caleb fracturing the timeline and meeting his former adventuring party, um, current co-investigators as they come to understand exactly what happened in the story of Resonance and how their lives came to be so divergent from the lives of their own that we understand they have in the actual story. Um, in campaign too so it's a canon divergent story um for several reasons which we'll talk about or at least reference a little bit here um but i really like it i think it's a really neat interesting twisty plot that is very as is important to me linked to character and character motivations and character growth um this story could not have been told in any other fandom about any other characters there's no way it wouldn't exist it's so dependent on um what it is built from. So I was really excited to get to say some more things about it. Um, I have more thoughts, especially after listening back to our initial discussion on it. So um, yeah, I guess I don't have to, I, I, we know what my co-hosts think of the story, um, but I guess I'd love to hear how it was on a second go around. Yeah, of the 556 hours uh, previously mentioned for campaign two, I have seen the majority of them. Um, and did I watch the seven hour finale? No, but did I do a lot of research about it last night and make myself cry several times? Yes. <laughs> so something we've talked about, I think with every D&D fic we've brought is um, what it is like to write a story set in canon when the canon is constantly shifting and moving. Um, because 
the nature of Critical Role in all of its many hours is that every single week, more or less, you are getting three to five new hours of content and things can change a lot. Um, when this fic was written in the middle of the author writing it, a pretty big thing happened. But that also was like so, so, so early in the campaign looking back. Um, and so I think for me, one of the most fun things about this reread was coming back to it now that campaign two is finished um, and knowing where the threads of all of those stories ended up, um, and specifically these characters. Um, it's really gratifying, especially like, I love Caleb so much. He's my boy. Um, and so seeing sort of what fandom thought of him and his motivations and his desires at this point in time when the fic was written versus like knowing where his character goes the two years or whatever later that the campaign ends, um, yeah, really lended to an interesting reading experience. Yeah, I think this is a fic that, like, I probably would not have come back and reread on my own, not because I didn't like it, but, like, I just ended up kind of falling away from campaign two, not because I didn't love the characters, but just, like, the time commitment was not something I had in me um, while it was airing, and, and now certainly I don't have time to go back to everything. Um, I don't really read a whole lot of critical role fic uh, unless it, like, either is written by a friend, comes super highly recommended, or, like, most likely is brought by one of my co-hosts for this pod. Um, so it was really nice to, like, be able to revisit a fic that, like, I probably wouldn't have normally. Um it did make me kind of sad that I've fallen away from Critical Role. I mean, I was already kind of sad about that because I do genuinely deep down in my heart really love Crit Role. And like, I wanted to pick up Campaign 3, but like, SOS, there are only so many hours in a day. And sometimes they have to be spent doing other things. <laughs> um, if we stop doing Fic Click, maybe I can pick up <laughs> Critical Role. <laughs> but I'm not willing to do that. Okay. So, um so sorry to Critical Role. I'll just have to absorb what happens through, like, my time, various social media timelines. Um, sorry, Matthew Mercer. I value my own podcast more than yours. I mean, again, like, maybe if Matt wants to come and do some of the work on Fit Click, <laughs> I could listen to Critical Role. I don't want that. <laughs> Guest editor, Matthew Mercer. <laughs> The idea of, like, the editing being the thing that we're offloading to Matt Mercer is one of the funniest <laughs> things. That all being said, this was a really interesting fic to come back to. Um, yeah, I kind of wish I knew a little bit more about how Campaign 2 played out in full. I've heard a bit, like, from Reed and, like, other friends and, like, seen some stuff on my timeline, but I didn't really go investigate on my own that much. Um, so I think for me, like, rereading this was more of an experience of, like, just, like, how does a fic change upon a reread, especially a fic where, like, so much of the payoff of this is kind of that it is this mystery that they're unraveling. So, like, on a reread, you know how it ends. So you're kind of looking at the process and um, the path that the characters take and, like, the magic system and the timelines and everything a little bit differently because you kind of know where it's going. So I think that was, like, a really interesting aspect um, and, like, made for a very, like, compelling reread of this. I think... I think, like, mysteries and stories like that are really fun to revisit because you can see work that the author laid down early that you might not have picked up on the first time around. Um, so I think that was, like, a very gratifying experience for me rereading this fic. And, like, I am very interested to, like, hear my co-hosts kind of talk a little bit more about the, like, where does Caleb's story go towards the end of, like, campaign two and, like, how that lines up with, like, the narrative of this fic that was written a lot earlier on, um... And, like, I definitely have some thoughts about kind of meta aspects of that, but maybe not so much, like, the actual mm -hmm. content from the campaign because, again, 
so sorry. If you guys cut it down to like 30 minutes a week. They will uh, not. I could do that. They absolutely will not. But they they won't. It makes it better, though. They're only doing um, three weeks a month. They're They're taking the last Thursday of every month off. So that's one extra week for you to catch up. Mm-hmm. Makes it better for me, who's trying to claw my way back into <laughs> campaign three. I think I've already lost it on this one, lads. It's okay. I'll I'll share the highlights with you, such as um, Marisha's character having a dead rat that she puppets that she named Patata Rolo. Yeah. Like, that was critical yeah, info for you to good. know. It, yeah. No, it totally was, and I appreciate yeah, of it. Of course. I know what you want. <laughs> well, hey, residents. Dead rats. Um, <laughs> hey, so I brought this fic to lovingly discuss. Um... <laughs> you want to talk about dead rats? Well, there's sort of like a a dead rat in this fic. His name's Trent. <laughs> <laughs> well, Reed, you want to catch us up on the season two finale? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yes. Yeah, so as previously mentioned, um, I am a bad fan. I have not watched the seven hour finale in part because I just keep forgetting that I haven't seen it, and then every time I remember it, I'm like, oh my god, it's seven hours long. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I got like 35 minutes into it, I think, and then the intimidation factor. Yeah, but I had I had largely remained unspoiled, to be honest, and I knew that there was a confrontation with Trent. I didn't know how it went, but I was like, I feel like having context for this would make a reread of Resonance more potent. And then it did. Um, so as Nick mentioned, um, unfortunately, in the canon of Crit Roll, Caleb does kill his parents. The way that that happens is that Trent Ickathon, his instructor, tells him and his two friends to basically set his parents' house on fire while they're locked in. And he does. And it's very bad. And then Caleb sort of um, takes a little uh, break from reality for about like 10 years and a break from Trent Ickathon forever, kind of. Um, in the finale of Critical Role... Um, after they've sort of defeated the big bad and saved the world, um, Caleb gets a little telepathic message in his head from Trent, who's like, hey, let's have a discussion. I would hate for history to repeat itself because Caleb and all of his friends are in a house that he discovers is boarded up and is on fire. Wow, Trent, we hate you. Um, the characters go out. They have a whole fight with Trent um, and Caleb's two childhood friends, who he also was studying with, Astrid and Aidwolf, are there and they basically have a battle. Um during which Astrid and Aidwolf switch sides, kind of just stay neutral. They kind of just, like, stop fighting as bad things are happening to Trent. Um, And they do manage to sort of put a lock on Trent's magic. And then Caleb's friends are like, hey, Caleb, do you want to kill this guy? And he goes, "Mm, no. And then Astrid's like, ooh, but I want to kill him so bad. Um, And they stop her. I'm making this much less emotional than it was. Reading the summary, like, fucked me up. (laughs) Watching clips was worse. It's like, I cried multiple times (laughs) learning about this. (laughs) Yeah. Um... So after this battle, um, they basically, like, a little bit in the future, take Trent to be put on trial. Which, like, a big thing of that is Caleb's choice not to kill Trent. Obviously, um, in this fic, he does choose to kill Trent. And for, like, a lot of campaign, too, when you think about Trent, like, you do think once they're done with the saving the world stuff, like, he's going to go murder Trent. And it feels so justified. And, like, as a viewer, like, I wanted it. Like, they were, like, getting towards the end game, And I was like, okay, we deal with this. And then we go and we murder Trent. And we murder him so good because he sucks. Um, but Caleb doesn't do that. Uh, and the other thing that Caleb chooses not to do that he had spent the majority of the campaign talking about is go back in time to save his parents. Um, so in the end end game, he and Essek, uh, go to an ancient city that has the magic to time travel. And Essek is like, 
well, do you want to do this? And Caleb is like, I have thought every night for multiple years about this plan and I know it would work. And here's the exact plan of how I would save my parents, but not fuck up the timeline. And then I would find them like 20 years in the future, aka the age I am now. I could save them and then I could go see them and they would be alive. Uh, And instead of using any of that magic, he disintegrates everything in the room. Um, Big character moment from him. Wow. And so the Caleb of that, of episode like 141 or whatever it is, is very different from the Caleb of this fic, and I think very understandably Mm -hmm. so. Definitely. No, it's so interesting, because like, yeah, I knew so little about what happened in the finale that I had to Google whether Trent was dead or not, (laughs) (laughs) because I wasn't sure. I knew something happened with him, but I was like, I have no idea if this dude is still kicking or not. Um, I did... Brief sidebar, um, because I feel like Illinoides would appreciate this. Uh, in the liner notes, they said that they were studying for a chemistry exam at one point uh, while writing this fic. And I was also thinking about chemistry while reading this wiki, because one of the ways that Trent is restrained at the end of their fight is with sovereign glue. <laughs> uh, so if you read the wiki page on sovereign glue, it's like this, you know, like super glue, but magic for D&D. Um, kind of the usual, like, oh, nothing can unstick it except for oil of etherealness or a wish spell or universal solvent. I read that and I was like, that's water. <laughs> Universe, universal solvent is what? Was water? I had to Google it to make sure. I was like, am I losing my mind? It's water. Um, not in D&D. I guess it's its own item. Um, but that really, <laughs> that just really made me laugh when I read that. And I was like, they use the weakest glue ever. <laughs> he cries on his hands and he's free. <laughs> no, but I think he is actually trapped. Uh, and that is really interesting to think about. Like, This fic is so true to the Caleb that we knew of the early episodes of Crit Roll. Uh, We know, I don't know exactly, I didn't look up the alignment of the last chapter with the kind of episode that had just come out, but we know it happened around episode 26, uh, because episode 26 is the schism in the fandom and fic community, frankly, and also it's like the point in this fic at which the author is like, this is now canon divergent. Um, as opposed to like plausibly canon well divergent from a canon that is also divergent (laughs) if that makes sense (laughs) Uh, because in episode 26 this is so long ago um, Molly Mock dies Uh, horrific I think I probably said this in the first episode I grief purchased Monument Valley on my phone because I was so (laughs) sad because I watched him die live (laughs) I just played it on my phone for several hours in the dark in my home Oh, God. But yeah, I don't know. I just think there's so much to be said about, like, this is so... If Caleb had gone on the specific path that he set for himself at the start of the campaign, without all of these other particularly political implications of the rest of the campaign, there would not have been what Reed was explaining at the end, right? There wouldn't have been this mercy. There wouldn't have been these other decisions to not go back and change things. There would have been this fic. Yeah, I did not know that Trent Nickathon was not dead until, like, two hours ago (laughs) when Reed was telling us about what happened in the campaign to finale. Um, Yeah, something I was also thinking about, like, upon this reread was that when I first read it, I really liked that in this fic, Caleb got a happy ending. This time, I almost wanted him to get the fucked up, not happy ending. (laughs) So sorry, Caleb. I think that actually says more about me than it does about, like, you and your story. Um, (laughs) But, like, I feel like with this fic, like, because of the sort of time... mm, 
weirdness. I don't even quite know what to call it. It's not really like a time loop. It's like a time divergence um, that exists in this fic. I feel like there's a possibility that like once they figured it out, it snaps back to like a different timeline. And happily for all the characters here, that that isn't the case. They get to continue on with the happier timeline. Um, yay. We love that for them. But it does just make me think, like, what if it had snapped back? And, like, where would that put them? I don't know. I just think this is also interesting in thinking about, like, what Endgame ended up being for Caleb. Because I feel like at the point of reading this fic originally, like, that was so up in the air. Like, we had no idea what was going to happen to any of these characters. And, like, yeah, t- we... We really had no idea, like, how everything with Trent or, like, with Astrid and Eadwulf was, like, going to come back up or, like, play out in, like, the end game of Campaign 2. And I think now that we have that set in stone, I'm like, ooh, what if it was worse? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting, Bren, because in our first discussion of this fic, um, we were talking a little bit about the fact that Caleb, like, unravels his own happiness, like, that the Caleb of this fic had put so many fail-safes in place to make sure that he got Mm -hmm. to live this perfect Mm -hmm. life and then... Of course, he was the one who was going to pick everything apart. And then he still does get a happy ending. But, like, he is also the one sort of undoing it or undoing, like, the piece he had set up. Um, But I think about that, like, contrasted with the fact that at the end of the campaign, he actively chooses his own well-being and his own happiness. Um, And I do think it's interesting because, like, I would have felt equally satisfied if Trent had died or not. Like, I think there are some pretty common narratives about, like oh, you know, like, letting go of anger and resentment and, like, you want to enact vengeance on someone, but it's, like, better for your personal growth to sort of, like, not kill them or whatever in, in you know, stories in which that narrative exists. Um, and this is one in which I think, like, Caleb could accept, like, moving on from his past and still kill Trent. Trent more than fucking deserves it. Um, but I do, I don't know, I am, like, fond of the fact that, like, Caleb was able to make that choice. Um And there's, like, a lot of little things about Caleb sort of putting his past behind him. It's the choice not to kill Trent. It's the choice not to do the time magic to save his parents. It's him dismissing Frumpkin, his cat, because, like, you find out way, way later that, like, Frumpkin is based off of his childhood cat. And so him dismissing Frumpkin is sort of, like, a symbolic action of, like, okay, this is sort of my last, like, tether to this happy life I lived with my parents. But, like, it's not real. This This is a fey cat, like it can't be a replacement for the real thing. And so he, like, lets Frumpkin go. And that's, that makes me emotional. I'm emotional about a cat. Get Frumpkin back. I don't like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, no, I don't either. Um, I have seen some... <laughs> I saw a very, very cute and um, heart-wrenching comic that, uh, like, where Caleb dismisses Frumpkin and then Frumpkin comes back anyway. I was like, okay, that was nice. That was a nice thing that you tried to do. I'm still here. And I liked that a lot. I do like that. But yes, uh, Bren, I do agree that, like, I, I like that Caleb got his more or less happy ending in the campaign, but also I wouldn't have minded if he got a less happy ending in this fic (laughs) or if they had gone back to the original timeline sort of with the knowledge of the fact that he had tried, he had tried to undo this big mistake, but it ended up not being worth it or something like that. I don't know. I think it would have been interesting to pursue. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. I think one piece of it definitely does harken back to our previous discussion on the way that he follows the breadcrumbs that he tried to kick into the shrubs uh, and says, oh, what is this? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, there goes my ignorant bliss. Um, But I also think, like, I don't know that this fic meant to ask this question, but in the context of the rest of Campaign 2, I wonder so much about, like, like, how happy is this? What does it even mean for there to be a happy ending? And, like, what does it say about 
us as like media consumers that there is dissonance between what we would have expected to be not a happy ending but a more satisfying ending potentially of things actually unraveling of like the the consequences of what he did i think we expect so much in particular magic systems and especially in D, right there's a cost to doing something like this the deities are paying attention they're kind of wrathful um as far as we know right a lot of them are in the D world so what does it actually say that they got to keep living in this new life and also i think it's interesting i found some pieces of it bittersweet i was reading the liner notes and the interlude chapters are set in the past as they're making this plan um, but the author basically said yeah i mean they figure out what happened but they don't get those memories back they don't get their memories of traveling together they don't get their memories of killing trent or making the plan to or working together or fighting together and i think there is something legitimately bittersweet in that of accepting a present day happiness and peace but also in the context of campaign two this mighty six plus caleb they don't save the world the way that the the mighty nine that we know do and that's obviously the rest of the show hadn't come out when the author wrote this but i think it's so interesting to look at it with the lens of like what did they give up what did they lose what is around the corner potentially that they might have to face that they wouldn't have had to otherwise because they had dealt with it i just think it's so so interesting to look at the actual like kind of bittersweet edge of loss and almost grief that pervades this story when you look at it with the lens of things this author never could have known would have happened. Yeah, I think what both of you have just been saying really plays into something that I was thinking about a lot with this fic, but also like admittedly with every like D&D or like crit roll fic that we read, which is kind of like the tension between the fact that the canon we have is created by so many individual parties Versus the fact that, like, a fic is written by one person. And I think when you were talking about, like, what makes, like, a satisfying ending or not, like, I think that can be more, I don't know, not necessarily more easily determined, but I feel like it's a different process when it's one person sitting down and looking at their complete narrative that they have full control over all of the characters and all of their decisions in the whole world, as you do when you're writing fic, um, versus, like, a round table of players and their own both individual decisions and obviously like as we've talked about before just like the meta aspect of like actual playing the game but I think particularly here and talking about Caleb like the player decisions I think like Liam's decisions like play such a huge part in like where Caleb's story goes and like I don't know I just think that's something interesting to be thinking about like what makes a satisfying e ending for like the person who's been playing this character for so long versus like us as fans versus like fic writers as fic writers like kind of the whole package and actually as I was listening back to the episode where we t discussed the interpreter <laughs> um Reed was talking a little bit about like uh like who gets to tell a story and like what is like right or true and I feel like that actually plays in a lot with like the ending of this fic and like our comparison of sort of it versus how campaign two ended up playing out um yeah I don't know I just find that I know we've kind of talked about it before like just in general with these D&D fics but I think it's so present in my mind and I don't think I consume any other media that kind of has this tension between the original uh canon being created like so organically by so many different parties who kind of have their own agendas for their own characters versus like a fic writer just writing their own version of it where they get full control I don't know I think it's really interesting and obviously it's not just crit role like it'd be Taz or like any other kind of 
podcast that uses gameplay to create itself. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just still find that fascinating. And I think it was still one of my big takeaways from rereading this fic, just as it has been with others. But I don't think that gets old for me. I think it's like a really interesting place to kind of mine our discussion and also for like fic authors to like play in essentially. I recently uh, joined Dreamwidth properly and learned how to use it. And one feature on Dreamwidth is you can hit random journal and you can go to someone's random journal. And one thing I saw a lot of was people's role-playing like blogs. And so Brenna, when you were talking about people with their own agendas and their own characters building a story, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I mean, right. TTRPG tabletop role-playing game. It was just like, wow. Yeah. All these anime characters I kept seeing and like could not recognize on Dreamwidth. Same energy as Liam O'Brien with Kate. Same energy. Yeah. It is interesting, actually, Brendan, what you were saying was making me think about something you said last episode about the rightish reasons, which is a bachelor AU, more or less. Same energy as resonance. Same. It's it, resonance, bachelor <laughs> <Absolutely>. AU, anime, <laughs> handshake meme. <laughs> oh, there's an edit. Um, <laughs> but you talked about there's a scene where, like, they're all, like, fake acting basically and you had said that on the bachelor like the real show that it never really comes out quite as satisfying because people will do whatever they want but in the fic it was exactly what the author needed it to be because the author had full control over the world and yeah i mean i was thinking about that here i think something we had said in our original discussion is like in a fic you don't have a risk of like them rolling a nat one and like fucking up their investigation or whatever like you don't have the same like on the spot um, improv, but you also don't have the same like whims of chance of the dice and the fact that Matt is the DM and like all of that. And that is a really interesting intersection of like meta and fic and as we were saying, the source material. So the last thing I wanted to say about this fic, because apparently we're out of time for the second time discussing it, um, is that so in the liner notes, the author talks a little bit about the idea of a chosen one arc. Um, in our first discussion, I talked quite a lot about the idea of the heroes of the realm um, being the main characters that you're playing, that the whole world is going to bend itself around them. This kind of ties into that. This is related. So the author says that Caleb is basically born and goes into this chosen one arc in throughout his entire childhood. Um, And this is a direct quote from the liner notes. It took murdering his parents to redirect Caleb from the Chosen One arc. Um, So in the context of resonance, right, that means that in the canon of the world, in the canon of the story of critical role that the author is building off of, Caleb murdering his parents derails his arc as the Chosen One. Uh, One thing I thought was really interesting, if you look at campaign two as a whole kind of story, is that in resonance, Caleb murdering Trent and kind of unmurdering his parents is the thing that derails him from actually fulfilling the end of the Chosen One arc. Um, so more stuff that the author never could have known or expected. But I just thought that was really interesting and I wanted to mention it. That was our discussion on resonance, take two. Um, it was a lot of fun to get to come back to this fic. I cannot believe that I still have more things I didn't get to say. <laughs> this time around but hey maybe we'll close the loop eventually can you really not believe it though do you not know us like well enough at this i can't point? believe it i'm shocked <laughs> i'm shocked reed <laughs> that's okay at some point in the future i will revisit my present self and uh, tear a schism in space time so that we have a little bit more time and can say the things i wanted to say So in the fic we just discussed, our characters go in a loop via time magic. In the next fic that I'm bringing, some of the characters go in a loop via a big fucked up train.
All right, so the fic I am bringing for our 50th episode here is The Interpreter by Antistar E. Uh, this is a fic we originally discussed in episode 10 titled Content Warning Dirty Chris Evans, <laughs> which I do think is still like a peak episode it's one title. It's favorite titles, um, honestly. Also, like, honestly, our discussion was really, we really had some great points on this fic originally. So, you know, if you enjoy this discussion or if you read the fic and want to hear more about it, like, I would honestly highly recommend re-listening to that portion. <laughs> I just did and found it uh, really good. I was like, wow, we said a lot of smart stuff. Anyway, um, this is a fic for the 2013 uh, movie Snowpiercer. It is a gen fic. It is set after the events of the movie. Um, so the kind of contents of the movie itself get referenced but are never directly on screen. That kind of also ties in with the content warnings I'm about to give you. Most of them are related to the events of the movie. Again, they are referenced in this fic and might be brought up in our discussion, um, but they are not like actively on screen for the most part. So for the movie, I'd say the big content warnings are definitely going to be violence, uh, child abuse. There is cannibalism, like body horror, food horror. I'm not quite sure how to put that um, out into the world. Uh, and then I think more so in the fic, there's also uh, some like drug addiction and recovery and overall just a lot of fucked up living conditions um, for everyone involved. So a lot of that's more going to be referenced than like on the screen in this fic. Um just a heads up, because Snowpiercer definitely has some kind of heavy themes and graphic stuff on screen. If you've watched the movie and you're fine with it, you would be totally fine with this fic. Um, it doesn't, like, introduce anything new. But if, you know, you've avoided the movie for a reason, those themes do get brought up in the fic as well. Uh, that being said, um, quick little recap of what goes on in this fic. Um, like I said, it happens after the events of the movie, but it actually picks up with... Uh, our main OC, Mariam, um, who's living in this underground colony that's basically a giant warren of tunnels. Um, there's a number of them that have been kind of discovered and like are somewhat in connection um, that are all underneath the surface of the earth. Um, the people on board Snowpiercer had no idea that these existed. The people in these underground colonies do know that Snowpiercer exists because they like can hear and feel it when it goes overhead. So at the end of the movie, uh, they blow up the train, which triggers this huge avalanche. Only two people escape. Um, and this fic kind of centers them along with our main OC. Um, Yona and Timmy, the two survivors from Snowpiercer, uh, end up inside this underground community that um, Mariam also lives in. I am obsessed with this fic. I feel like I was so hyped to bring it originally because it felt really different than anything that I'd brought and honestly still feels kind of alone and in its own category from like anything I have brought. Um, I feel like usually I go for things that are pretty like shippy and are in these like big fandoms that I really like. Like that's a lot of the stuff I gravitate towards reading and this is a pretty big departure from that thick wise but it includes so many themes that I love in general. Like I know I have my dreary corner, but if I can have another corner to my room, it's my sci-fi corner. And we don't go here a whole lot on this podcast, but like I go here a whole lot in real life. And um, I think it's one of the reasons I was so excited about this fic. It almost could be like a standalone short work of science fiction. Um, I think it's genius. It's really stuck with me. I think just like all the other best science fiction, it has a lot of themes that feel very relevant to our real lives. and 
provides a lens through which to like look at and work through a lot of the like inequities and disparities existing in our current world. Um, so I'm really excited to get into it. I know like Again, like I said, I really liked our first discussion, but I also have a million more things to say. Um, So before I get into some of what I want to talk about, I am curious about how this reread process went for my co-hosts. Yeah, so I reread this fic yesterday, and it is absolutely one of my favorite fics I've read, I think, just in general. Um, It was so nice to come back to it because like I remembered really loving it but like you said it's been a minute episode 10 was not uh, recent in the fit click ove and I was a little bit nervous I don't know if y'all feel that sometimes like you go back to something that you loved so much the first time and you're like oh please hold up please hold up oh absolutely um, yeah a hundred percent it did it was so good um and there was so there's so much to it um I agree with Brenna listening back to our discussion was fun I was really nervous to listen back to the older ones because I was like oh my god <laughs> We were so small, but we kind of knew what was up, so I have to respect it. Um, yeah, I think one of my favorite things getting to look back at it, um, and I'll talk about this more later, was getting to look more at some of the comments that people made and some of the um, observations and the relatability from other folks in fandom, uh, because it just wasn't something that I had gotten to see a lot about before and there were definitely like cultural practices and references in the fic that I missed a bit the first time so getting to slot that in with more context was really cool yeah really excellent um I have never aside from like one google doc and also my old glee fan fiction that I would have her beta sent my mother a work of fan fiction um <laughs> But I did send her a PDF of this one because I think she would really like it. Um, she hasn't read I it yet. I sent my mom a PDF <laughs> yeah, yeah. of this as well. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll keep you it's updated. It's good. It stands on its own. <laughs> oh, did you like yeah. just send it? Yeah, today. Oh my god. Yeah, please yeah, keep so us I updated. I don't know if she liked it. I hope she did. Um, but like it, if, if you're curious about the vibe of it, if you haven't read it, um, it very much reads like a sci-fi short novella. So I think that despite the fact that like it's nice to have some snowpiercer knowledge i've never seen it um and i love this story i don't think you need a lot of that knowledge to be able to enjoy this as kind of a standalone work yes as ever big emphasis on what my co-hosts have said um and i think in particular bren you were saying this feels sort of like a singular type of fic or like a standalone from other stuff you brought or other stuff like all three of us have brought because over the course of 50 episodes we have for sure pushed the envelope on what counts as fic um (laughs) we have covered a range of yeah fandoms and and everything in between um but something about this like does feel very singular uh and was so good to return to i mean i remembered really loving it the first time around and i remember being really struck by like the writing of it um but i had and like i remembered the sort of the overall plot but I didn't really remember, like, the experience, I guess, of reading it, like, the, the feelings it evoked um, and just, like, following the narrative through. And it was so, so good and, like, just as satisfying. Um, and I reread it after I listened back to our original discussion. And it was fun because, like, there were things that I loved the first time around that still stood out to me. And then there was, like, new stuff that I was kind of, like, focusing in on. I was like, okay, like... We talked a lot about, like, XYZ the first time, so, like, what's the new stuff I'm going to dig into here? And there was still a lot. Like, um, it's not a particularly long fic. It's, like, what, 12K, 13K? Um, so it's not, like, short, short, but um, considering how much we we covered the first time around, there is still, I think, so much more to talk about, um, which 
you know, uh, is what we were aiming for with all of the fix that we brought. But it is nice to know that they they did hold up in the way we wanted them to. Yeah, I think like kind of getting back to my original point about this as a work of science fiction and like why I gravitate towards those. I think something that helps something that I think kind of explains one of the reasons that we keep having more to say about this is because you can tie it back to our own like world and like lived experiences that are happening in our world um and I do think that's like a hallmark of great science fiction is like honestly even if it's more like fantastical than this work is like you know it's set in space there are robots there are all these things you know I think that at its heart like science fiction goes back to questions about humanity. I've said this before. I will say it again. It's why it's my favorite genre, because I do think it allows us like a different way to look at things and grapple with the issues that we currently face. Um, And I think something that makes a work of science fiction like particularly remarkable is when people can pick it up years and years later and still find new meaning or relevance in it. And especially when that meaning changes. um, I don't know. I think about like watching sci-fi movies and stuff with my family growing up and like the different experiences of my parents having watched these movies when they originally came out versus like me at like my age as like a kid. And you know, how we can both, like, overlay the messages of those on top of, like, what we see the world as being currently. And so I think it was really fun to come back. Well, it was really interesting to come back to this fic uh, now because, honestly, I feel like, if anything, the themes of it feel even more present and real. Um, To that point, like, uh, sci-fi writer Philip K. Dick and, like, I know some others have kind of talked about science fiction as this, like, third reality, sort of the space between, like, fact and fantasy um like reality and illusion what can we find in there that like relates to both but kind of disturbs both as well and like creates this like space of productivity within fiction and i think that this fic (laughs) exemplifies that really well um it takes a lot of the themes of snowpiercer that i think you know can hit home for viewers and pushes them even further by creating this much more like sympathetic and likable world alongside the kind of just objectively fucked up train of Snowpiercer. Um, And I think it kind of, one of the things I was thinking about that it was really resonating with me this time was kind of this tension between Mariam's community that kind of bases itself on like mutual aid and like it has to, to survive, you know, versus like, the driving force of, like, the one rich guy in Snowpiercer, which is, like, the whole point of the movie. But I don't know. I think there's just something really interesting in the tension there that feels like something I can see existing in our own world right now as well. Um, And that was something that I hadn't really been noticing as much when I first read this, like, a few years ago. But I think in the present moment comes across a lot more starkly for me. So I think it's, like, sort of the experience of being able to find new parts of this to compare to like the current global situation um that like made this a really compelling reread for me again um and like honestly I would put this fic up there with like a lot of other sci-fi works I love like gonna wreck you some novels and gonna wreck you the interpreter on AO3 as you should (laughs) like it slaps it's so good um I just like kind of wish this, like, was a published work, so I could be out there, like, screaming about it. Um, 
like I mean it is a published work I kind of wish that this was like a traditionally published work so I could be like out here on social media being like read this if you like all these other things but um as it is I will scream it to you ficlets I hope you go read it yeah I think one thing I wanted to add kind of to what you were saying Bren especially around like this fic being a more hopeful picture of what this post-apocalyptic world would look like next to the very bleak, hopeless, horrendous picture of Snowpiercer uh, does seem to be specifically a cultural commentary as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Snowpiercer, Mm -hmm. especially the way it's portrayed in this fic, um, I haven't seen the film, so (laughs) probably in the film as well, I assume, um, seems to showcase a lot of the of evils of white supremacy, frankly, um, just put it very bluntly. Um, and this idea of like the intensity of the prioritization of capitalism and things like that. Um, the world that we're in with Mariam and all of the other OCs in this story, uh, this underground tunnel cave system is under Mecca. And the primary culture here is Islam, uh, which we see. I mean, it's it's an adapted version after kind of all of the events happened, people had to adapt to like what the world is. But I was really struck by um, Moonlit Child, who's a friend of mine. Thank you, Moon, for these thoughts. Um, They left a comment on the fic that I thought was really, really interesting. And they spoke quite a bit in it about the detail and nuance around the portrayal of Islam and very minor changes that were made in a couple of the religious and cultural practices that were very sensitive to what is important and what the core of these practices are so that people could continue practicing them even in a new environment. One of the things um, I kind of wanted to highlight was um, the regulation hijab. Um, So the idea, I'm I'm reading this directly from the comment. This is a quote from Moonlit Child. Uh, The idea of a post-apocalyptic society that has Islam as a religion so ingrained that they divert what is probably minimal resources into making hijabs as part of normal wear blew me away. Um, So I think just being able to get that perspective from somebody who really related to this fic, um, I just thought that was really, really cool. And it was something that I had noticed the first time that I read. Obviously, this cultural element is really central to the fic, but it was nice to be able to read it with this additional context from somebody who, um, you know, has that culture and is able to provide more detail around why things worked in the story. So as you may have gathered from the intro, the fic that I am bringing is a video game fic, and you might be thinking, read your video game corner, it doesn't belong in the interpreter, but that's where you'd be wrong. (laughs) It is always time for Reed's video game corner if I try hard enough. Um, One thing that we touched on a little bit before, and that was like really, really in my mind as I was doing this reread, is um, the idea of sort of the history of the world and like, I guess, the world that you are shaping around you and... um, And in specific, what's going to happen in future generations and sort of like what history and knowledge is going to be passed on. Um, And there was sort of this question of uh, that we had, I think, I think we had brought this up in our previous discussion, I hope. But if not, I'm bringing it up now. Um, Like, is it better to not remember the past because then you won't repeat it? Or are you just destined, is humanity destined to make the same mistakes over and over again? And that does kind of tie back to what Brenda was saying about like the sci-fi genre and like what it has to say about like humanity and the way that we evolve and the way that tech evolves. Um, But to bring it back to my video game corner, because that is what's most important to me, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Is um, I was thinking about the game Horizon Zero Dawn in which... um, Different but similar. Uh, The entire world is basically on track to implode for environmental and tech reasons. 
um, and a group of very smart people basically plan out for future generations. And so in addition to setting some stuff up in place so that like new generations will be born centuries in the future, they gather people from all over the world, all different types of like knowledge and language and learning, culture, science, etc., um, and store all of this like vast amount of knowledge on databases. And they have this whole plan in place so that when the new people are born, they will learn the history of the world before them. And sort of like right before the apocalypse happens, one dude is like, actually, knowledge is a burden and destroys everything. Um, and so when this like new era of people is born, they have only the remnants of the society before them in absolutely no context for like what it is. Um, the game poses a lot of questions, but in it definitely is like, would things have turned out better for this society if they had been able to learn from the mistakes of their predecessors? Because your main character learns a lot and is able to navigate the world better for it. But like, while the world that she's in has challenges, it's not necessarily bad or worse. It definitely is a more simplistic world. And that actually, I think, tracks a lot to the interpreter because this world that Mariam is living in is, by our current standards, pretty simplistic. Um, they don't have the same, like, technology that we have currently. But Mariam doesn't think of her world as, like, bad or inferior. And in fact, in the fic, explicitly states that they think they're superior to the people on the train. Um, and when you think about sort of what is important to the people in the Warrens and you think about what might happen 10 generations from now, like, what what is going to matter enough from the world before to make it through, if anything? Like, is it worthwhile enough for the future generations to learn from a history that's been wiped out? Like, does that matter? I don't know. I think it's like an interesting question the fic poses. Um, and not one that I feel like it gives a clear answer to in a way that I really enjoy. Yeah, I think this fic, like, raises a lot more questions than it answers, which I think is one of the reasons it's stuck in my mind so much and something that I really wanted us to come back to. Um this is tangential, but I guess also in sort of the matter of raising questions <laughs> that it doesn't answer. Um, something I wanted to talk about like the very first time we discussed this fic and just simply had to get rid of because <laughs> time constraints <laughs> is sort of the similarities I saw between things that happened in this fic and uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. Um, the question that's like posed in Omelas is not necessarily a question that is unique only to that story but it is sort of the central question of like if you have this world that seems perfect in so many ways but it relies on like the suffering of one do you stay or do you go like is it worth it essentially like that is the like question of of the story um and i think like snowpiercer itself kind of asks that it's not it's not on the suffering of one it's on the suffering of like a bunch of people but like in a similar manner, you know, the the utopian, like, cars that Willem designs all rely on, like, you know, this this hidden suffering um, in a very similar way. And, you know, I think if we look at this fic as sort of like Yona and Timmy being the ones who get a chance to walk away from Omelas, Omelas being the train in this example, like, what happens to them next? And the I like reread Omelas last night, and the version that I was able to access through my library online <laughs> had a little like afterward from Ursula K. Le Guin, and in it she was kind of talking about the questions that she gets asked about Omelas, and like how a big one has always been like what happens to the people who walk away? Where do they end up? And I think this fic kind of poses an interesting answer to that um, because we actually get to see like what would happen to Yona and Timmy. And obviously like 
Yona and Timmy are kind of in the position of almost being more of like the child in the Omola story than like one of the people who goes to see the child. But, you know, I think like you can still make the connection there. And something I was thinking about a lot, too, is like kind of going off what Reed was saying about how Mariam and everyone else in her community kind of view themselves as superior to this train. It got me thinking about like when these people walk away from Omelas and they find some other city or some other community or civilization or whatever, and it doesn't have this like utopic sheen to it. It's probably a lot more like fucked up in visible outward ways. <laughs> but after they hear these stories, do they pat themselves on the back and say, well, at least we're not doing that? You know, I kind of feel like that's a little bit what happens in this story. Not not completely, because there's other reasons that like like Mariam's community is super different than the train. But I do feel like there's sort of this aspect of like, okay, well, we're not like, this is definitely not perfect. We're aware that it's, like, a hard life to sustain down here. Um, but at least we're not in the train, you know? Even though people pay- paid millions of dollars to be on said train. So, I don't know. I think I was just thinking about that a lot originally, but then also on this reread. And I actually, this time, like, reread Omelas along with it. And I think, like, they both just function as these stories that ask these questions that, like, we can't really answer, but that you're supposed to kind of sit with and, like, live in your brain. And I think they both do that very well for me. <laughs> and I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting to think about this story as like kind of a offshoot reading of Omelas in some ways, along with like many other themes to it. So a little bit random here, but one thing that I was thinking about um, just because I read about it recently as I was rereading this fic was William Glassell's choice theory and specifically the idea of the perceived world and the quality world. So the way that he describes it in this theory is that the quality world is like a photo album of our favorite things, our preferences, the things that we imagine will make our life positive and fulfilling and that will meet our basic needs. Um, The basic needs to him are like survival, fun, power, freedom, and love and belonging. Huh. Wow, I'm... Good it's impressive comprehension. memory recall. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I learned this very recently. But I was thinking quite a lot about the way in which the quality world is altered by what you are able to access to include in it. So the example that I was given of uh, the way something enters your quality world is like you have a slice of cheesecake for the first time and you're like, yum, I love cheesecake or whatever dessert that you enjoy. And then the next time that you're hungry or you're craving something sweet, cheesecake will come up as an option, whereas it might not have before because you didn't know that you liked it or enjoyed it or preferred it to something else. Um, That's kind of a frivolous example. It can also be like people that mean a lot to you or like coping mechanisms that you know work. Uh, Your quality world is shaped by your experiences with things. And in this fic, The Interpreter, Yona specifically, I find her such an interesting and compelling character. Her quality world when she goes into the Warrens is shaped very intensely by the fact that everything that she is learning and understanding is coming through an interpreter, Mariam. Mariam doesn't always have the right words to be able to explain. Like, for example, there's a part where she's thinking about how many kinds of rocks and dirt there are, and she doesn't know these words in Korean that she's able to translate them over. So she's like, this is a different dirt, and this is a different dirt, and how those things are probably shaping Yona's quality world and the things that she is reaching for and thinking about when she's happy, especially, you know, her experience on Snowpiercer did not sound like it was fun or good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that's... I haven't seen mm -hmm. the film, but that's my understanding. (laughs) Quite bad, I would say. Right. So, like, what are the things in Yona's quality world? It really made me wonder. Um, And in Mariam's as well, right? 
you have Yona who is thinking about the sky. There's a moment where she's describing the sky and Miriam goes, oh, was it blue? And Yona has to close her eyes as if she's imagining and remembering it and says yes with this odd reverence. There is such a gap between the things that are in their quality world and they're still able to relate to each other and connect and shape each other's quality worlds. So I just really liked that. I thought it was interesting and that was it kept popping up in my head as I was reading. Um, and I just really love the relationship between those two and the ways that they impact each other. They're very different characters, um, but their interactions were really cool. I think one thing that we know like shapes Yona's quality world is food in this fic. Like when... Um sort of like the leaders-ish of this community. So like Crabgrass, but then with the aid of Mariam and sort of their uh, doctor in this community are trying to kind of like help Yona and Timmy like adjust to living there. The only reason like Yona will do the things that they want is for food. Like, and I think Mariam kind of comments on this to herself, like this realization that Yona's relationship with this item is so different than her own. Um, and I just thought that was like a cool example of kind of what you were talking about, about like the differences between them. Cause they've had such, they've both had such kind of limited world experiences. Like they have only grown up in these completely isolated uh, communities essentially. So when you line them up in terms of like what is important to them, it's also based on like, what did they even right. have? What are the options? Um, and that goes back to sort of, yeah, like the aspect of language and like semiotics and everything. So I think that's super interesting. Yeah, language was definitely a thing I paid, I think, more attention to on this reread. Um, and I was thinking about how scientifically, please don't quote me exactly on this, um, but the language, especially like your language that you're brought up with, shapes the way that you think and shapes the way that you view the world. And so there's all these examples of how like, if you grow up with a language that has like gender built into it as like a toddler, those those um, kids will know about the concept of gender like up to a year before people who grow up in a language that doesn't have like inherent gender in it and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, something I think is so interesting about this fic is language as representative of that insular upbringing that Brenna was talking about. Like the fact that Mariam doesn't know what underground means until she sort of grasps that there is something that is not her current world. Like... She doesn't she doesn't have a frame of reference, not just for like the sky or whatever, but for the fact that like she is under something um, or the first time that she like mentions or not the first time. But um, when she talks about Snowpiercer and Yona's like, you keep saying that word, like, what are you saying? And Miriam's like, oh, it's our word for the train. And Yona's like, oh, we just called it the train or it was like the world. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think this fic has so many interesting things to say about how language shapes culture and meaning and, and what it places importance on, like. The fact that there are, I don't know, a hundred different words for dirt in the language that Mariam grew up with, but not in Korean because it wasn't necessary, at least like it wasn't necessary to what her father was teaching her when she was growing up. So I think the idea of like these insular worlds, but also the fact that like both Yona and Mariam are in their like mid-teens, maybe um, like they're still kind of kids in a lot of ways. Like one of the like scenes that we get is Mariam celebrating her 14th birthday. Um, I think also really shapes this like there is still this continual learning from them but also I feel like the fact that their whole lives have been in these particular communities and the fact that they are kind of children still shapes some aspects of how this fic gets told as well like in pre-discussion we were talking about like the elements of like birth in this fic and not like childbirth but like 
people are talked about as getting birthed in these different manners. Like, Mariam thinks back to how she doesn't know anything about her dad when he was a kid. He She only knows his story from, like, when he moved to Malaysia, and that for her is when he was born. And she thinks later about, like, how Yona originally looked like she was, like, born from blood, and then, like, when she gets cleaned up, she looks like she was, like, born of the cave. And I think Crabgrass talks about um, Yona and Timmy being, like, born of the snow. And I just think, like, it's really interesting how this fic handles this idea of, like, new things coming into this very static, like, world that Mariam and, like, previously that Yona had lived in as well. Um, that it is sort of, like, each time that there's something new, it is this kind of, like, birth um, rather than, like, for us, like, there's new things kind of every day because we're living in a super different environment than either of these characters. I don't think, like, a singular new thing needs to be reckoned with in the same way that, like, these characters need to create a way of understanding uh, these, these like, instances of, like, a new person or a new event. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting, too, uh, regarding, like, language and development. <laughs> so this was us revisiting, honestly, one of my favorite fics that we've discussed on this pod, uh, The Interpreter by Antistar E. Um, I find this just a very singular fic. I think it's absolutely iconic. We definitely could have talked for, like, another hour about this fic, so who knows? Maybe again in the future you will hear about The Interpreter. Uh, if you have read this fic or plan on reading this fic, let us know. I would honestly be so curious about your thoughts on it. I know we kind of say that every time with every fic, but this one is like particularly one close to my heart that I would love to like discuss forever. Yona and Timmy aren't the only characters in this episode that come from the ice and thaw. Reed, tell us about Wander the Wild Whereby. Yes, thank you, Nick. The fic that I'm discussing again is Wander the Wild Where by, um, by AO3 user Mediest. It is for the video game Fire Emblem Three Houses. Our pairing is Felix Sylvain, and this is a space AU, a space opera, one could say. So right off the bat, I'll give the content warnings. Um, this fic is tagged uh, as a major archive warning for graphic depictions of violence, um, and then in its additional tags, it has violence and torture. Those additional tags get elaborated on in the sort of two, but mostly like the main one chapter in which they are the most relevant, um, the chapter in which the torture is the most relevant. But just sort of throughout the fic, I would say it's like genre appropriate violence. Um, like this fic is set in the middle of a war. And so, you know, there's sort of like that happening around. Um, in our first discussion, we kind of skirted some of the violence and I don't know, ickier parts of the fic, uh, which I think we are going to get into um, more detailed discussion of this time around. So just be aware, like we will be talking about not just the violence, but the trauma um, that characters are recovering from it and what is happening in the present. All of that um, is going to be more present in this discussion. For some context for this fic, um, I have put on Twitter um, a link to a Google Doc that I made for my co-hosts the first time we read this fic as a primer. Um, it's not so much a primer on Fire Emblem Three Houses as it is a primer specifically to be able to read this fic. Um, I will pull the highlights from it just in case you haven't read it or haven't listened to our first discussion so that you are able to follow what is going on. So the section of the galaxy that our characters live in is Fodlin. Fodlin is split into three main territories. Um, the one that is most prominent in this fic is Fargus, which is where pretty much all of our main characters come from. There's also the Adrestian Empire and the Leicester Alliance. At the time of the fic, a group of very evil bad people called the Agarthans have taken over Adrestia. 
Um, and where it becomes more relevant for our characters is that an Agarthan sympathizer, Cornelia, um, basically took the wreckage of Fargus, which I will get to in a second, uh, sided with the Agarthans and has plunged Fargus into a civil war. The reason that Fargus is kind of in shambles and that Cornelia was able to take power is that several years previous, um, the royal family, including Dimitri Bladed, uh, went on a little diplomacy mission to Dusker, a nearby territory, um, and were assassinated. Dimitri lived, but barely. Uh, come back, the country sort of launches a war on Dusker, and it just sets off a chain reaction of war across many territories. Um, and sort of in all of that turmoil is when Cornelia, I think, kidnaps Dimitri, implies that he is dead, and yes, once again, sort of from the wreckage, takes over at least half of Fargus. She sucks. Yeah, she sucks. Our POV character, Sylvain, um, used to fight in some of the wars for Fargus, um, largely uh, as dictated by his father, and then was like, fuck this, um, and so has been running ever since. He is a deserter. Uh, when the fic picks up, he sees quote-unquote Thomas, who is actually Felix, um, who is very shifty and looking for a ride on uh, Sylvain's ship and thinks that Felix is just another deserter from the Fargan army. He's not. Uh, well, he is, but mm, he's got some pretty important cargo. Uh, so, big spoiler horns for the fic. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. Got a boy in me bag. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Nick, as you alluded to in that um, perfect transition. Um, the cargo that Felix brings aboard Sylvain's ship is an icebox containing the cryogenically frozen body of Dimitri. Um, Cornelia did not, in fact, kill Dimitri, but she and the Garthans had been experimenting on him. I'm going to add that to the content warnings. Um, experimentation, in addition to the torture, uh, had been experimenting on him for uh, many years. And then Felix broke him out and is trying to get him back to Claude in the Lester Alliance. Um, this fic is 60k. It is super, super plot heavy. I think it moves at a really snappy pace, but there is a lot packed in there. Um, so obviously we had a lot to talk about last time and a lot to talk about this time. Oh, sorry. One other thing. I've just looked at my notes. A, a thing that is important to know. Critical. Uh, crests. Very important. <laughs> crests are basically heightened abilities that are passed down through bloodlines kind of indiscriminately um that yeah give make people stronger they heal faster they are associated with nobility and highly sought after um sylvain has a crest he fucking hates it it basically ruined his life uh felix also has a crest he's less antagonistic towards it um low bar <laughs> yeah well um and the agarthans one of the things that they've been experimenting and researching is basically studying people who have crests and trying to use that information to put synthetic fake crests in people who don't have them. Um, that is also important because Sylvain's brother, Miklon, who fucking hates his family, was like, yeah, Agarthans, sign me up. Stick a fake crest in me. And then that it was really oh. It was great. <laughs> and Sylvain definitely didn't have to murder his own brother and definitely doesn't have like a lot of trauma about Terrific it. Horrific body horror nightmares. Mm hmm. Um. Yeah, so that was a lot. Sorry, so I was going to make that short. I didn't really. Um, if you need more context, once again, check out the doc that is on Twitter or go listen to the intro of the last episode, which is episode 37. Or just read the fic and be like, I don't know where this place is. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I do think if you have 
probably just the knowledge I've said. I think you can get by. Um, certainly my co-host did not have a lot of Fire Emblem knowledge and got by. Um, and before I ask you both about like your reread experience and sort of the new things we want to talk about, I do have something to follow up on from the previous discussion. Um, so, Nick, you had told us in episode 37 that you and Mercedes got married. So I would just yes. like to know how that marriage is going. Um, how yeah. is your wife, et cetera? We did legally wed the morning of that recording, uh, mm-hmm. which was extremely beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, we are still married. OK. Uh, we actually just moved to a cottage on a small planet where oh, we are. Lovely. Yeah, we're part of a small community um, there's some sustainable farming. I'm not farming. I don't farm. Um, I sit in the cottage <laughs> and I write all day and my beautiful wife, Mercedes, brings me fresh produce. It's really, it's pretty good. I can't lie. We're living the life. Thank I'm you for so asking. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, yeah of course. So now that we've established that, uh, yeah, I do want to hear about your sort of reread experience. I had an absolutely delightful time rereading this fic. I loved it the first time. I loved it the second time. In fact, in some ways, it was easier to love the second time because I kind of knew a little bit more about where it was going. The first time, I definitely got by with the information that Reed gave me, but I did get a little bit caught up on some of the intricacies of the political maneuverings that exist in this fic. And on the reread, I was like, well, don't need to pay attention to that because I know we're not going to be discussing it. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, the political aspect does play in a lot to like the end game of this fic, but at first, I was really trying to like sort all of it out mentally in a way that was just not working because I don't know these characters. I don't know the world. There's a million different names of people and planets and sometimes they're the same and sometimes they're not. And help. I didn't know what was happening. Girl help? It was a lot. Girl help. Girl help for sure. (laughs) Um, So this time it was really nice to be able to kind of know which bits I could linger on and which bits I could skim a little bit and not be at a loss for having done so. Um... I didn't feel quite as, like, out of my gourd this time because I kind of also already knew it was happening, but it still, like, really hits. This fic is just so well plotted, so well executed. The character development is amazing. I'm obsessed with it. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited for, like, where our conversation tonight is going to go. Like, we could definitely, you know, I could be just as happy revisiting all the points that we talked about the first time because I still feel so strongly about them. But I know that we had some stuff that we didn't get to that I think is going to be really interesting to uh, delve deeper into. Yeah. Second impressions. Similarly, um, not necessarily out of my gourd, but like inside my gourd being pummeled by asteroids uh, from outside. (laughs) I think like, yeah, I had an easier time with it for similar reasons. For me, I think it was because I felt confident. Like I got through it the first time and I enjoyed it and I had things to say. So I was less like anxious about all of the things I was trying to keep track of and that I wasn't like sure exactly what was happening. Uh, having the knowledge of the skeleton of the plot of this fic already, we didn't talk about it that long ago, was extremely helpful. So, Ficklets, if you're gunning for a reread, this is my encouragement that you do so. Um, Yeah, no, it was really interesting, and I definitely have new thoughts that I'm excited to share and jump into, but holy cow, extremely good fic. Mediast, we're your fans. Mediast, if you ever write a book, Brenna said this last time, let us know. We will all purchase and read it. <laughs> please, please. I'm first in line for pre-orders. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have a confession to make, and this is really only relevant, I think, for the Ficklets who have played Fire Emblem. But um, for Fire Emblem, there are three main routes you can take. And the one involving these kids is like they're the Blue Lions or Azure Moon, whatever you want to call it, either way. Um, I had not played that route when I read the fic originally because 
I didn't think I was going to like Dimitri. Like, I didn't really like him much from what I had seen in the other playthroughs. Sorry to Dimitri. Um, I liked basically everyone else. I had sort of poached all of them from their original house and taken them into my playthroughs. Um, and then, like, I don't know, sometime after the fic, I played that route. I was a little clown fool. Oh, my God. Was it so good? And do I have a million feelings about Dimitri? Um, and then a couple days ago, I started replaying again another Blue Lions route because I love these kids and I love this game. Um, the point of me bringing it up, though, is that for sure on my first read, I caught a decent amount of the references to canon and stuff. Um, I feel like I had such a better footing this time around and could see even more the ways in which Mediest is a genius um, and had like beautifully woven together the plot um, and and tied in the canon. And specifically something that hit me, I don't want to say way harder because I mean, obviously I was gourdless, et cetera, last time, but something that def- definitely hit harder for me this time around was um, Felix and Dimitri's relationship. Because in the game, it's pretty bad. It's, it's pretty bad. He's pretty fucking mean to Dimitri. <laughs> Canonically, before they see each other at school, the last time Felix saw Dimitri, um, similar-ish to this fic, they were on a battlefield and Dimitri was ruthlessly murdering people in a really brutal way. And Felix was like, I don't even think you're human. He calls him the boar prince a lot and basically says a bunch of things that are like, why are you even pretending to be human? Blah, blah, blah. Christ, irreconcilable differences, it sounds like. <laughs> um, so anyway, just fucking gourdless for the Felix Dimitri of it all. <laughs> yeah, well, should we do it? Are we going in? Yeah, I think we have to. I'm going in. Okay, so Figlets, if you listened to the previous discussion on this in episode 37, I'm out of my gourd. I was, I think, briefly possessed by, like, an intellectually sexy demon and talked a lot about transgressions (laughs) and absolution. I was listening back and I was like, what the hell am I talking about? (laughs) I was impressed. Um, Tonight, I am going to be talking about violence, vulnerability, masculinity, and closure, mostly. Um, Mostly at the same time. We'll see how how concise I can make it. But last summer, uh, well, summer of 2020, actually, Um, At the fandom convention context, it was held online, and I co-moderated a panel on Wump and Hurt Comfort, um, specifically in Slash fandoms and centered around male characters. And one of the things that came up quite a lot was that in the canon of many of the Slash fandoms that these people were in, um, and some of the examples that came up were like Teen Wolf or Supernatural um, or The Sentinel, which I I read some fic for uh, in 2020 as oh, well. Oh, Some fic that came out the year I was born. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these like, um, you know, like archives and stuff. I think it was very interesting. Um, but in the canons, the only times in which these generally adult men, not always, um, are allowed to show any kind of vulnerability past this veneer of rugged purpose is when they they or someone very close to them is grievously injured. Um, physical violence has to be enacted upon them. So one thing I found really interesting in that discussion of like why we're interested in WUMP, why we're interested in Hurt Comfort as like a fandom collective. Maybe you're not Ficklets, I don't want to speak for you. Um, but this was, <laughs> the, the panel was full of people who were interested in this. So that's what we talked about. And one of the things was that 
Fick allows us a moment to pause and breathe and explore the trauma of violence in a way that the canon often will not. You get that one moment, you get that like one single manly tear and like the blood on the face or whatever, and then they move on. The next episode, you gotta shove it down, you gotta get stuff done, there's no time for this, there's no room for feeling or emotion or processing. And Fick doesn't really do that. Fick is really interested in the processing and the quiet moments in between the chaos of the canon. And in this fic, I mean, obviously we're not in the canon of Fire Emblem, um, but a lot of the canon events are paralleled. And we see in chapter 12 specifically a lot of physical violence um, and some psychological violence as well enacted upon Sylvain. Actually, quite a lot of psychological. He's he's very hurt in many, many ways. Um, and it gets a little bit gory. It gets a little bit body horror-y. It gets, it gets pretty unsettling. Um, and the author explicitly warns for that. Um, and it was interesting going in the first time reading, knowing that chapter 12 was going to be that intense, and then coming back to it on the second read and kind of bracing for it, knowing that it was coming. Um, I just think there's something so interesting. The first time we talked about this fic, I said that um, Sylvain thinks of himself as a monster when like violence is being enacted upon him uh, because it reminds him of the violence that he was enacting upon other people. This time around, I'm thinking quite a lot about the ways in which vulnerability is leveraged against these characters and what is oftentimes otherwise a very plot-heavy and not always emotionally like heavy story. It's kind of a found family space opera, like Reed was referencing at the beginning, but we still get these really intense moments of pain. And we also get to witness some of the healing from that pain, or at least the witnessing and acknowledging of it by other characters and the characters themselves. So I love this story. I really wanted to talk about some of the violence that happens here because we didn't really get to get into that that much the first time around. Um, so yeah, those are those are my overarching thoughts about it all. I would love to pick up that thread from you, Nick, because one thing I was thinking about uh, as we were talking about violence in our pre-discussion and also like while reading this fic um, is kind of like the tension between what Sylvain is trying to outrun that happened with his biological family and like his also like fondness and protective nature towards this new found family that he's creating and how a ton of that like centers around violence. Like so much of what he's trying to outrun is not only the violence enacted against him, but like, yeah, the violence he committed, like you were talking about. We see that through his like continued nightmares, like his recounting of how he had to kill his brother, like all of these awful things that have either been done to him or that he's done or kind of both. Like the killing his brother was something that he did that was done to him, you know? Um, it's not a simple situation, basically. And there's a lot of tension between Sylvain's own kind of pain and trauma regarding that and his desire to protect these people that he keeps collecting, even as they also kind of have to sometimes enact violence or violence is enacted upon them. Um, there's a line that really stood out to me this time where I think it's like Sylvain's thinking back to some jokey comments that like Ash and someone else made about like, oh, who's mom, who's dad? And Sylvain thinks uh, he didn't want to be the kind of person who would transform a house into a battlefield, who oversaw one war at the galaxy border and a second one at home, where you were made to fight for survival in your own bedroom and the kitchens and the winding staircases, who loved you best when you showed him you were capable of hurting someone else. And I think that's, like, so central to Sylvain's character here. Like, I, we didn't really dig into, like, the family trauma that much last time because it's, like, a heavy topic, but it really makes him who he is, and it ties in so much, too, to, I think, like, both how he has his guard up with Felix at the beginning, but also, like, how he desperately wants this affection from Felix and, like, 
I think Sylvain doesn't know how to like accept easy affection. You know, he kind of is only used to the tandem of affection and violence being tied together. And so I think like it's something that we see him kind of struggle with, with like his protective nature towards his crew, but then learning to kind of accept that like warmth and love back. And then we definitely see it with like his developing relationship with Felix, I think. Like that relationship is not violent. I want to make that clear. But like they are both people who have violent histories. And I think like there is some mixed up feelings about all of that kind of. I am feeling like almost panic in my chest right now because I have so many things I want to say off of what you both just said. And I'm like, oh God, oh God, which which things am I going to have to cut around this time? Like it's... Mm. Once again, could probably talk about this fic for hours. Um, something I do want to say, I mean, still on the topic of violence and kind of specifically going back to something Nick was saying, um, how Nick, the first time you talked about uh, Sylvain sort of like thinking of himself um, implicitly and explicitly as a monster um, and how that specifically comes up when violence is being enacted upon him. Um, and now with my newfound canon knowledge, something I found really interesting is it feels like in some ways media's kind of uh picked up some of the attributes of Dimitri's trauma and transplanted them onto Sylvain um in the sense of like Dimitri's canon trauma and reactions and so like in the canon um if you listen to the first discussion you will know that you your character you play as falls down a ravine and climbs back out 5 years later more or less um and in the game when you find Dimitri again after that time skip he thinks you're a ghost because he basically has a, a very guilty conscience of all the people who have, like, died on his behalf and sees these ghosts, like, haunting him until he can sort of, like, absolve himself. Uh, and in this fic, when some of the worst violence is happening to Sylvain as he has been caught by the Agarthans and they are experimenting on him for his crest, the ghost, more or less, of his brother Miklon appears in his cell with him often and is talking to him and is mocking him and degrading him. And it's... It felt like just so parallel there where he's being haunted by this thing of the past. And like, yeah, he holds a lot of fucking baggage around the fact that his dad ordered him to kill his own brother and that his brother would have happily killed him. Um, and it's just, I think, so brutal. But yeah, when you were talking about like monster and like monstrous, um, like it, it is so interesting, too, especially because in the game, Miklon becomes a physical monster. Um, and then in this fic... As uh, Sylvain is being rescued, he and Dimitri and Felix are looking at one of the guys who was like the main torturer who is about to escape. And the guy triggers a collar on Sylvain's neck and Sylvain becomes a monster, basically. Like the the narration becomes third person where it's this monster is strangling Felix and this monster is bashing Dimitri's nose in and this monster is trying to kill these people. And Sylvain is desperately trying to claw his way to consciousness as Felix is like begging him he's like Sylvain you have to fight it Sylvain you have to come back um I mean that is the point where, where monstrosity becomes most explicit and it is agonizing and awful and very briefly sorry no, I've been going for a bit but just off of that one of the things that I was really thinking about this time around this fic is Sylvain's uh struggle towards redemption and towards choosing life and choosing to finally like make things better for himself and in that bit where um he's sort of being like mentally manipulated and he can see the monster of himself choking felix and whatever there's a whole refrain um where he's flashing through sort of like all of these violences that he had committed against people and creatures and whatever um and he's thinking about himself and he goes star boy war dog man's best weapon this fucking blood bag someone should really put him down 
Yet when Sylvain looked up from the bottom of the well, he was afraid to die. He wanted to be found. He wanted to live. Yeah. Which, thanks, Mediast. I once again feel fucking wretched and abysmal. <laughs> that quote is in my notes app. I am looking at it right <laughs> now because I want to talk about Joan Didion really quick, if I may. Um, okay, so one thing that really just sort of whacked me over the head in a pretty absurd way um, while I was reading this was so one thing that I like to do, and I did this with um, The Rightish Reasons as well in our last episode. Sometimes if I feel like there's a particular refrain or theme or word that comes up a lot, I'll just entire work command F. And so I looked at the word gaze and I looked at the word look, which is one reason that I have that line that Reed just read. Because one thing I was thinking about was this quote from Joan Didion in an interview that she did that says, I myself have always found that if I examine something, it's less scary. We always had this theory that if you kept a snake in your eyeline, the snake wasn't going to bite you. That's kind of the way I feel about confronting pain. I want to know where it is. And so I was mm. so interested in the way that gaze and eyesight and looking at things and confronting things in this fic both was very much about trying to resolve and heal from pain, but also was about not forgetting it, the importance of that. Sylvain does not want to forget the violence that he's capable of. Um, and in that scene that you were referencing, one of the ways in which he does manage to claw his way back to the surface is Felix saying, look at me, look at me. Um, and I just think that there's so much there about, like, what you do with all of this pain you have and what happens when you confront it and what happens when you don't and what happens when you don't know what to do with the way that it just rises up in you like trauma is not easy you know <laughs> not to um be reductive about it but i just think there's something so powerful about the ways in which looking as a theme show up so much in this story and also about other narratives of pain and healing yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting about how Sylvain's, like, pain and trauma manifests is we see a lot of it through these, like, nightmares that he has, which aren't something you can, like, look directly at, which are sort of just this bubbling up of his subconscious. And it's really somewhere where we start to see, like, his veneer kind of being pulled away as, like, readers is through these, like, dreams that we get recounted to us and, like, some... And, like, one of the ways that we kind of learn about this trauma that's been enacted upon him and, like, that he's, like, the things he's had to do. Um, and so I was just thinking about that when you were talking just now, Nick, about how hard it is to look at yourself in that way and to, like, look at these things that only exist in your mind. Like, what are you supposed to do with that, essentially? And one of the scenes I really liked and that I thought hit really hard for me this time was a scene where Sylvain and Dimitri end up talking about their nightmares a bit. and. It's kind of one of the most like open moments from well uh, from both of them because Dimitri doesn't have a lot <laughs> of open moments here, but like also Sylvain and I don't know. I mean, I just think like that just came to mind when you were talking about if you can't look at something directly, how else can you address it? I guess. And so in terms of like Sylvain being able to heal and being able to choose like a forward path I thought that was like a really interesting turning moment for him I didn't really pinpoint on my first read and then really stood out to me this time around as something that was like defining of his kind of decision to try and heal from some of this something kind of tangential but still very much in the realm of this conversation and going back a little bit to what Brenna was saying earlier about um how Sylvain and Felix 
their relationship with each other is not violent, but they have a lot of violence in their past. Um, I think the first time I was reading this fic, I got just so fucked up about the ways uh, in which they hurt each other with, like, their barbs and whatever. I mean, we talked about last episode the... um, the quote, like, you know, run all the way to Bridget, you'll never get away from yourself, like that line, which is still fucking devastating and hurts me so badly. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think I had I had all this focus on sort of the ways in which they could hurt the most tender parts of each other. Wherever you go, there you are, Sylvain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. An iconic um, Ernest Hemingway quote. <laughs> I never said that. <sighs> yeah, let uh-huh. me just, uh, I'll insert the clip from episode 37 here. Give me a second, Ficklets. Yeah, yeah, intense. Yeah, it's like the late Ernest Hemingway said, wherever you go, there you are, Sylvain. <laughs> I added the last part. <laughs> he yeah, didn't say Sylvain. <laughs> I figured he didn't say Sylvain. <laughs> no, he didn't. Great. Anyway, now that we've covered that. <laughs> um, but something I was so much more aware of this time around is that, like, yes, like, they both struggle a lot with being open with one another. Um, and they do sort of wound each other in these ways. But also, Sylvain, as previously discussed, uh, just the self-flagellation is so real and so present. And he holds so much self-hatred. And, like, that's a little bit canon in the games, but obviously this author takes it to whole new levels. But something I really love is that... reads fave cinematic universe. Well... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm wretchedly on brand. Do they banter and are they self-recriminating? Get on in there. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. No, it's fine. I can't marry Sylvain again this playthrough, but I want to. That's irrelevant (laughs) anyway. um, But what I was saying is that um, despite the ways that they sort of like snip at each other, there are bits where Felix very much pushes back at being... Uh, a tool in Sylvain's arsenal to sort of hurt himself. And there's a bit where Felix is like, I'm not interested in being your method of self-punishment. And that comes up a few times where he he really pushes back. Like, the both of them will get angry and then sort of be able to breathe and take a step back. Um, and I really liked that. And I really liked in specific Felix's insistence that he was not going to be part of Sylvain's narrative um, where he just feeds into his own guilt and trauma. Um and I did say, um, body horror warning from my own notes that I left in my notes app. Um, I am ripping out my own guts and offering them to Medias in supplication because this right. fic made me feel that abysmal again. Does Medias want <laughs> Probably not, but... Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know what they're going to do with your guts. Also, read. I don't want to have to take you to the emergency room because you ripped out your guts to offer to an author on AM3. Well, but yeah, I mean, it comes up a few times where... Like, there are just moments where they could have, like, slipped into, like, an argument or, like, purposeful miscommunication, and Felix just fights against that in a way that was so good and satisfying and something that I really just didn't pick up on until this uh, this time reading. Not to just keep repeating things that my co-hosts have said, but, like, yes, once again, I am sad that I cannot just keep talking about this fic for hours and hours, but, like, clearly we all still have a lot to say about all three of these fics, so, like, tune in for, I don't know, what episode 100? doing these three fics over and over until we feel <laughs> like we're done? <laughs> we just start doing, like, a line-by-line yeah. breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it is pretty clear that I love this fic so, so much. I was very glad to be able to reread it and to find new things to love about it. 
Um, but before I fully wrap this, um, I know, Bren, you had some interesting thoughts about not just the world building of this fic, but the world building of all three of our fics that I don't know if you want to get into. Yes, I would love to. I feel like it's been a while since we kind of did one of these mm, tie all of our choices together moments. I feel like we used to do this sometimes. I feel like um, we didn't used to do intros, though, so it's a, it's a give and take. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, as I was rereading all three of these fics, I was thinking about why they're fics that we keep wanting to come back to. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of them for me was definitely like the world building of all of these. I think like the older I get and the more media I consume of all formats, the more like good world building really sticks out to me. And I thought all three of these handled that so well. Obviously, they all play with elements of the canon source materials. But I think it's the ways in which they do that and change those and elaborate on them that makes them so compelling. Because we've got Resonance where it's canon divergent, pretty much. It exists really solidly within canon with these twists. Uh, We've got the Interpreter that's sort of directly post-canon, but brings in these whole other invented elements of this world. And then with Wander the Wild Whereby, it's an AU, but that involves a lot of canon. And as Reed was saying, like, if you know the canon, you pick up on it even more and more. Um, and it really, like, grounds what's happening in the fic and a lot of the, like, political machinations and stuff that are going on. And I was thinking about, like, why do I like fic so much that, like, plays with canon, too? And, like, plays with, like, the world building of its original source material? Because I feel like that's somewhere that I find so rich in fix is ones where an author can do a great job of taking what they were given in canon and developing it or playing with it or changing it in ways that are really compelling. And I was thinking back to when I was in college and I used to, like, do, like, writing tutoring and help run, like, intro writing seminars and all that kind of stuff. And One thing that people always struggled with was compare and contrast essays. And just bear with me for a moment. But I think it's because people approach those as sort of saying, here's like a list of these two, like, say, books. And I'm just going to tell you why they're similar and why they're different. And that's not really a compelling thing to read. And I think what actually makes for a really good compare contrast essay is when you can line the two things up and talk about what you see once they're in perspective of each other. Um, It's what new is brought out or what you can see through the lens of another one that you couldn't see before. And I feel like that's what all of these fics are doing by bringing different elements into their canon. They're showing us something about the canon that we couldn't see just in the canon itself. So I was thinking about that a lot. And I feel like that kind of also gets at some of like, just like why I love canon fics so much and like why I love people playing with canon. Um... So that was rolling around my brain, and I just wanted to offer it up to you because I think it really holds true for me for these three and, like, a lot of other fics that we've discussed on this pod previously and probably will discuss in the future. And also, my tip for you for <laughs> <laughs> contrast essays. for you. <laughs> Academic fic, let's take notes. Yeah. I totally love that, though, Bren. Not to go back to William Glassell's choice theory, but uh, one thing I find super, I don't know, just, like, interesting about doing this show is that it's taught me and reminded me so much that when you're looking at a work of fiction and especially a work of fiction that is aligned with a canon, right? A fandom, something else that we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. The relationship with the source material has a lot to do with the implication of choices that the author made and the motivation behind those choices. There's no neutrality, right? If you're putting someone in a coffee shop, you're you're still making the decision to do that. And I am always so curious as to why and what it does. Um, So anyway, I just wanted to add that because I really love all of these thoughts. We're getting very meta about our show. I just always find that fun. Yeah. 
I feel like we've kind of moved away from getting really meta about fic a lot of the times. We're really digging into these individual ones and not necessarily looking at like fan fiction overall in a more like holistic manner. And sometimes it's really fun to kind of like zoom out and like see the forest more than the trees or whatever. <laughs> better time than episode 50. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of FitClick and potentially any of our other previous 49 episodes, minisodes, etc. that we've done. Um, we really appreciate every single person who listens to the pod. It is crazy to think that we have gotten this far and still hopefully we'll have many more episodes to come. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so in a number of ways. You can email us at fitclickpod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. We are at FitClick. And also on our Twitter, you can find a link to our Discord where you can hang out with us um, and you can share your thoughts about the interpreter with Brenna, who is desperate to hear your opinions. Please. I am. I am. I'm desperate to hear your opinions. And I'm also desperate to hear your opinions on our podcast overall, uh, particularly if you liked it. You can leave us a review on Apple I think Spotify might be opening up a review Ooh, function. I saw something about that. I don't know. We'll see. If they do, yeah. and I was correct about that, in the future, leave us a review there. <laughs> um, we also super appreciate any word of mouth exposure. Uh, if you want to give us a retweet on one of our episodes, tell a friend, tell a family member. Send them a PDF of the interpreter. Top. Send them a PDF of the interpreter. And then send um, them a link to both episodes where we talked about it. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, we are still a pretty small pod and grow a lot from that kind of uh, word of mouth communication. So we really appreciate any of you who have done that in the past and will do that in the future. Thank you so much. If you want to send us some dollar bills or whatever the equivalent is in the currency that you use, we do have a merch store. Um, so not only will you be sending us a fraction of those dollar bills, you'll also be receiving exciting merchandise. We have hats, we have little like notebooks and tote bags and mugs and things like that. Our Redbubble store is linked in our pin tweet on Twitter. So our next episode, which I'm sure you are all eagerly awaiting, uh, comes out on February 18th. Nick, what is your fic for that episode? My pick for next episode is In for a Penny by Jedi Buttercup. It is for the fandom Knives Out movie. It is a genfic, primarily centered around the relationship between Ransom and Harlan, and is canon divergent from the events of the movie. Brenna, what are you bringing? My pick for next week is Anomaly Counter by Yo Pumpkinhead. Uh, this is a genfic for the Murderbot Diaries series, uh, book series by Martha Wells. Um, it's kind of an action-adventure sci-fi series, and I'm really excited to talk about this fic. Reed, what's your pick? My fic for next episode is Plum by Unfavored Idol. It is for the K-pop group Luna, um, and it primarily focuses on Hyeju or Olivia Hye. It is based on their music videos, I believe. I have not seen a single Luna music video, to be honest, um, but that is the vibe I get from this fic, and it is not really horror, but a little bit strange and like a little little bit spooky but just a little bit ayo listen up no matter what they say no matter what they do we gonna resonate bye <laughs> well ficklets as we near a potential climate crisis i suppose we should all start building underground tunnels to live in i'll see you there bye <laughs>
Well, Thicklets, as soon as we're done recording, I am going to go back to playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, where I will just hold myself back from marrying Sylvain as much as my heart desires it. Bye! Bye!